Today we're going to continue to explore how to become alive in our faith, alive in our works, and alive in Christ in this series we call Alive. And um, I thank Pastor Deb for that wonderful um, introduction. If you don't know me, my name is Reverend Nick Savage, and I'm the site pastor at the Connection United Methodist Church. And I am here also as um, in youth ministry, and I'm so looking forward to um, sharing the Word of God that he's put on my heart with you this morning. Um, But before we do that, would you mind praying with me? Holy and loving God, not my will, but yours. Lord, put me in your hands that I might speak your word, that I might speak your truth, and that everything I say, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be completely acceptable in your sight. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Last week, you got to hear an awesome word from Pastor Tim Power. Who, who loves Pastor Tim Power in here? I know I do. I love to hear him. He's an incredible speaker, and he has the most amazing stories when it comes to his children. They're like the funniest people on the planet. I would like to see, you know, what it looks like, like a candid camera of their home from some of the stories that I hear in his sermons. I get to see him, and I'm thankful I get to see them online, as we have such an incredible online community here, too. Um, the, the message that he left us with is that the message of the gospel is amazing grace received, uh, leading to amazing grace lived out. He was telling, the, telling us that it, it's not a dichotomy between faith or good works. Instead, good works should be the inevitable outgrowth of a life transformed by following Christ Jesus. He said, acts of service are a confirmation, not a condition of a life transformed by God's love. And so I'm going to make a quick shameless plug here that afterwards we also had a serve fair and it gave us an opportunity to, as the church to see how this church is connecting in the world. And so I'm just going to say that that serve fair wasn't the end all be all of being able to sign up and getting connected, but that this, this whole sermon series and that whole message was very enlightening for me, and that I just want to encourage us to plug in how we can. If we didn't get a chance to sign up last week, that we can look online at SalemStLouis.com and find out other ways that we can serve. Today, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about what it means to have wisdom in Christ and what that actually looks like like two. Our scripture today could be broken up into three different parts, and I hope to be able to break that down a little bit and just digest a little bit of what it is trying to tell us, though we know that in God's word we're not going to get it all today. We pray that what we do digest can be lived out tomorrow and beyond. The first section is, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Now, I come from a generation, and we usually break that down by saying, it's not enough to talk about it. You also have to be about it. And I think that's kind of what that's saying there. That's section one. Section two, mean-spirited ambition. This is a little bit about how we can spot those parts of our lives or maybe things that we observe that are not part of godly wisdom. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise 
isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. And he goes on to continue to talk about um, how it's, it's devilish plotting. You know, whenever you're trying to look better than someone else or get the better of others, that things will fall apart. So we kind of know what to look out for there. And then real wisdom. So here's what wisdom is. This is what I love about Scripture. That usually, and we talk about this a lot in our confirmation class, that when we talk about what the Bible is meant to do, it, it's this story. It's this long story. And I've got two confirmation students right here in front of me, which is incredible. Um, and actually, I know there are more in here, too. But um, we, we talk about how this, this story of the Scripture is there, and, and God's love informs us. Um, God sent his son uh, not to judge the world, but to not to condemn the world, right, but to bring life to us all. And so the word is very, very clear. A lot of times we can read in like the first verse of the first chapter, and it'll say, this is exactly what you're reading this for. Um, and it helps us out. And so here in verses 17 through 18, it does that too. It says, but here's what real wisdom is. God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. James tells us to live well, live wisely, live humbly, not just a command to mothers today on Mother's Day, of course, but to all of us. This, of course, was modeled by Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. We, we are in this fourth Sunday or so after Easter, and some of us would still consider ourselves in Easter season as we are, I think it's somewhere around 28 days away from the day of Pentecost. And that's a very special day. Because we are waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we anticipate that we are inviting the power of the Holy Spirit to help us out, to help us discern, to help us lean into what this truth that James is talking about, what real wisdom is and how to actually obtain it. It's not something that's ethereal, but it's something that's a little more concrete than I thought. In my early childhood, I'm going to tell you a little story. Is that okay? In my early childhood, um, I was accompanied by several wise mothers of the church and fathers of the church. And uh, if you come from a small town like me, then you know that we had a lot of people that were not necessarily family members at all, non-biological. Non In some ways, I'm not even sure that, that my parents' generation or parents' parents' generation even grew up with them. Um, we embraced a lot of folks around our church community and our school community because we were a small town. And I had a lot of aunts, uncles, uh, sisters, brothers, next door neighbors, cousins. They were all part of our family. And one of my favorites was Aunt Bernice. Now, the only thing I didn't like about her was that she would kiss me right dead in the eye, like on the pupil. How weird is that? But Aunt Bernice was so faithful. You know, she would show up to church and she would walk in her 90s. She would walk to church with her Bible in her hand and she'd be singing these songs. We had no clue what they were. And she'd show up to church faithfully every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday evening. Like I said, we were from a small town on Tuesday nights for Bible study, on Wednesday nights for young people willing and working and Friday nights for another Bible study. And then 
Saturday morning for choir rehearsal until she, by her own admission, had aged out at 93. Aunt Bernice was an incredible gift. She didn't just lean into the community um, on the days that she was at church, but she also gave of herself in and out of those church days, what we would call, you know, 24-7, 365, all of the time. She had raised her own kids. She had retired from work, and she was an incredible God-fearing woman. And by the way, when I say God-fearing, you know what? I talked about the Bible earlier, how it tells us these definitions. Proverbs teaches that the fear of God is actually the love of God. So I want to be clear about that this morning. We've all probably seen a character like Aunt Bernice, like an archetypal character like Aunt Bernice in stories, especially around black culture. But I got to see this firsthand. Um, This was, she was some type of a, a, a myth now, you know, she, she, just this incredible natured person. My, my cousins and I, we would always joke that she had seen everything from a horse and buggy to like the nicest cars and that it was so funny that she would still choose to walk. I mean, that's just how like all of us knew Aunt Bernice. And so they're, they're in these church services that we would have on Sunday. And believe me, we're not going to have one of these this morning because we operated on this certain kind of time. OK, and actually there's a definition for it. So, so you have what's called uh, chronos time in the Greek, which is chronological for all my uh, mathematicians out there and my engineers. This means that everything you do is going to be very chronological and likely you've planned out most things ahead so you can hit certain timing points. Then you have this thing called Kairos time. This is a little more free-flowing where you kind of feel the spirit and you move as you will. I'm telling you, some of these church services could have been anywhere from two to three hours if we weren't careful. And like I said, believe me, we are not doing that this morning, just in case any of you are wondering. But the worship set, before it would start, the preaching, before it would start, The breaking of the bread, before that would start. The benediction, before it would start. I mean, we had a pretty traditional service. But before any of that would happen, at some very random point, operating totally under this Kairos time kind of concept, Aunt Bernice would start singing, kind of in this register, because she was getting older, and so her voice had been deeper. She'd start singing, just another day that the Lord has kept me. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. He has kept me from all evil with a mind stayed on Jesus. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. And she would just break off into that. And if you are a modern theologian or a pastor or any kind of student, anyone who's normally wrapped up in Kronos time, this would just be so nerve-wracking. I mean, if you didn't understand what was happening or if you hadn't seen this enough, I'm telling you, this would not be easy to stomach. And so as children, we would see this happening in and we, we would have an understanding, some understanding that something profound was going on. But we didn't completely understand what was going on. But by the time I was a young adult, I became accustomed to the song. By the time I had seen the wise living, by the time I'd seen the humble living, the consistent Christian living, 
something about what she was doing and less about what she was saying started to make sense to me. When we're alive in Christ, we live by the rules of a new kingdom. This kingdom is unlike any other kingdom in this world. Its values are completely upside down, with the last being the first, the poor being lifted up. And it's not a kingdom of personal gain. It's a kingdom of selfless love in response to God's goodness in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. This is Christ on a cult coming to give his life opposed to a war with another empire. This is the kind of love that Christ embodied on the cross. It's the kind of love a church mother like Aunt Bernice would show to somebody like little old me who she had really no other relationship with than being that godly figure. It was very important for me in my formative years to have such an example of wisdom with such a life well lived. And she was about the Christian life and um, something we too are called to be. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wanted to help the early Christians to understand what being about this Christian life was really all about. In modern terms, like I said before, we can summarize pretty much all of this in we don't just talk about it but we have to be about it. We're going to go into a scripture that some of us may have had on our wedding days. Other of us may have heard on Confirmation Sunday, some people during baptism. This um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 13 is so popular, and the way it ends just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it says this, if I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a clanging gong or a clashing cymbals. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mystery and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things. It trusts in all things. It hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will be brought to an end. As for tongues, they will stop. As for knowledge, it will be brought to an end. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, what is partial will be brought to an end. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, reason like a child, think like a child, But now that I have become a man, I've put an end to childish things. Now we see a reflection in a mirror. Then we see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things, and the greatest of these is love. Wow. So you're telling me, That wisdom, 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 something that I used to totally um, just permit to my head actually starts with love? My goodness, 
This is a very popular scripture, and it sounds wonderful, but let's keep in mind that Paul was telling them not so they would just hear it and not get the head knowledge, but that it would forever change their lives and all they're doing. He was prompting them to come alive in their Christian walk and to mature their faith. There's a reason this passage is so popular, so meaningful. This letter helps us understand the action behind the word love and a life in Christ. In other words, it doesn't just explain what love is. When we put this together, what James says, when, what, what Paul says, this scripture helps us understand what love does. Love is patient. Love is kind. It endures. And love is truthful. And so when we are truthful and we endure and we are kind and we are patient, when we live well, when we live wisely, when we walk humbly, when we live consistently, we are doing in the church. We have come alive. Amen? I had a personal experience with the mother of faith, and her contribution as a member of the body of Christ impacted so many folks. Her call was not a formal ministry call. She didn't have a seminary degree or any kind of formal training. She had no local license. Um, she also wasn't alone. Um, we don't have enough time today for me to talk about all of the men of faith and all of the peers of faith that have inspired me too. And today, an easy question might be something like, who are some of the folks that impacted you like that? But you're not going to get off the hook that easy. I'm going to ask you a different question. That's an important question, but, but maybe a better question today in light of the scriptures is, how can you and I, how can we become more alive in Christ? How can we mature our faith? How can we take what I love Pastor Tim says, how can we just take, do the next right thing? How can we just take the next right step to live well, live wisely, live humbly, live patiently, live kindly, endure hardship, live truthfully, give generously? And here's the good news that be it our baptisms or confirmation or be it our church joining or a marriage, or any other ways that we have connected with the church, even as a general congregant, if we witnessed any of those things, we actually have acknowledged those things. We've acknowledged God's grace and commit to a life um, including but not limited to those godly attributes by Paul and James, what they said. We've, we actually faced those three parts of James' letters in what we call our Methodist vows. They're all, they all meet all three parts of James' letters. We, we say that we're going to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of the world, and repent of our sins. We're going to accept the freedom and power God gives to resist evil and justice and oppression, to confess Jesus Christ as Savior, put our whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as Lord. You know, that really speaks to the heart of the middle part, how to look out for some of those things that don't necessarily speak to the life as a Christ followers. 
how to remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world, to be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and do all the power and strengthen it to that we can to strengthen its ministries, to faithfully participate in its ministries, to faithfully participate in its ministries, to faithfully participate in its ministries by their prayers, presence, gifts, services, and witness. So not just to, to think or do and, and not only to spiritually grow, not that dichotomy that Pastor Tim Power talked about before, not just to build our own faith or to do good works, but to faithfully participate in ministries by prayer and presence, gifts and services and witness, but to also do is what that is saying, to receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. In some ways, in so many ways, we're already doing those things. In other ways, some of us are like, I want to do those. I can't wait to do those. And in other ways, people are like, I need to hear a little bit more. And we'll be back next Sunday, same time. I don't, you, you know, and if you're somebody who's thinking, how could I do this? How, how, how could I take the next step? Or I'm so new to this, or I'm not necessarily comfortable. I don't know how to hear God calling me. You know, think about Aunt Bernice. She had no degree. No, no, she was not necessarily youthful. No money, very little money, little education. But what she had was the power of the Holy Spirit. It advocated in her life, and it led to a life of godly wisdom, justice, and worship. It led to being a wonderful model of Christ. And as we close on this fourth Sunday of Easter, I just want to remind us that Christ died that we might have life. That when we talk about this series, Alive, when we talk about what it means to truly come alive, I want to remind us what Christ told his followers when they were a little worried that he had gone away, that he had completely emboldened them. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keeping it pretty simple, he did. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Here, Jesus makes it even more simple than anything I said today. He told them, if you love me and keep my commands, if you love me, love God and love your neighbor, he will ask for the spirit of truth on your behalf to help you find that next right step. It will work in us. It will work through us. And isn't that awesome? Is that awesome? You can say amen. Helping us come alive in all we do. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your mighty word. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit working through this community, in this community, causing us to live out a life that is worthy of your praise. Lord, we just ask that all of the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart have been completely acceptable in your sight. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.